coming up on this episode of the Switch Lake City podcast. We're going to be talking about World Cup, the FIBA World Cup, as well as what Utah Jazz takeaways we can take from what we've seen so far. We're also going to be doing a little preview of the World Cup. Um, and that's pretty much it. As always, this episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Make sure to check the show notes for details on how to get access to that. We have the NFL season going. We have the NCAA football season going. There's still FIBA World Basketball. You can use Underdog Fantasy to play fantasy games through their app. And hey, it's it's a lot of fun. It kind of makes the sports viewing just a little bit more fun. So check that out. This episode of the Switch Lake City podcast is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. I want to tell you about the easiest way to get in on some action on the NBA. It's Underdog Fantasy and their Pick'em game. Just pick higher or lower on your favorite or least favorite player stats and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players to fill out your pick entry, get every pick right, and take home some solid hard cash. Use the code SWISH, S-W-I-S-H, and get your first deposit doubled up to $100 by Underdog. That means if you pay $100, then they will match that $100 deposit, and you'll have $200 to put on fantasy games. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the App Store, and don't forget to register with my promo code SWISH to get your fantasy to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Sign up today with promo code SWISH and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. You must be 18 plus and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. In terms of why, concerned with your play, call 1-800-522-4700 or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Okay, the FIBA World Cup has been going and it has been, it's been fun. Uh, I don't know how many people have been paying attention to the FIBA World Cup, and I do believe that number will be going down because right now you got college football on, you got the NFL on. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I love college football season. I love the NFL season, especially because it signals that we are that much closer to the N- to the NBA season. We are less than forty nine days away. I believe we're we're forty nine days away. Uh, so we're less than 50 days away from NBA basketball, Utah Jazz, and there, there's less till preseason. We got like 40 something days till preseason. So it's coming up. It's coming up fast, guys, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Stay tuned with the Switch Lake City podcast. I know episodes have been a little bit inconsistent over the last couple of weeks. Um, but as we get back into the NBA season, expect weekly content. Um, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay. The FIBA World Cup has been awesome. Like I said. Uh, you, we are in the quarterfinal stage at the time you're listening to this episode of the podcast. I believe we will be through the quarterfinals, um, kind of looking at the bracket right now, the teams that are remaining and some of these games, you have Italy, USA on Tuesday, uh, September 5th. And then the other game you have on Tuesday, September 5th is Lithuania and Serbia, two pretty good games. Then you have Germany and Latvia on Wednesday, September 6th, and Canada and Slovenia. That Canada and Slovenia game, I think that's the highlight of the first round. That's going to be a lot of fun. Two all-NBA first-team players in Luka Doncic versus Shea Gilgis-Alexander. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Luka has been absolutely torching. He's kind of had a, a two games that weren't like as great, but he's got his team to this point. Uh, Slovenia is in a good place to get to their second straight Olympics. That's kind of crazy for uh, one of, 
you know, one of these Yugoslavian states in Slovenia. For Luka to be taking them to essentially their second straight Olympics with minimal NBA help. I know Goran Dragic has been a part of that team, uh, but there's been minimal NBA help outside of Goran Dragic, and Slovenia is finding themselves very close to a second World Cup appearance. I think that's awesome. It's a great story. So, like I said, we got those games. Kind of looking at those games, I do think Canada, Slovenia, I do think that's that's easily the marquee matchup. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I'm curious to see how well Canada plays. I thought they played their best game of the tournament versus Spain. Uh, I know it wasn't totally pretty, and it was a close game to the end, but just the way they were able to come back, as well as the production they got from Tillon Brooks, uh, man, like, Credit where credit's due because Dylan Brooks absolutely was playing really good basketball on both sides. Obviously, he's still he's still doing his 17-foot pull-up jumper, making poor decisions, but that's just kind of the Dylan Brooks show. Uh, that's the Dylan Brooks experience. You ride with the bad shots because he's also going to hit a pull-up three, and he's going to hit a couple wide-open shots, and he's going to make some defensive plays. So he's been really fun. She'll get Shea Gilgis Alexander. I've also just been incredibly impressed watching him. Um, the way that his play has been able to translate to a FIBA level of play, I think speaks very promising things to his future. I'm going to talk a little bit more about Kelly Olinick, who I thought has also played good, but shout outs to Nikhil Alexander Walker and Lou Dort, who have played great for uh, Team Canada as well as Dwight Powell. So I think, I think. Canada, Slovenia, that's that's the one everybody's going to be looking forward to. Um, I think Lithuania, Serbia is going to be an interesting game. Serbia without Nikola Jokic, um, but they do have Nikola Jovic, who plays for the Miami Heat, and Bogdan Bogdanovic, who plays for the Atlanta Hawks. And both those two guys have been playing really well. They've been playing good every single game. Uh, this Serbia team has been pretty solid. They've been a good watch. I was actually really surprised that Italy beat them the other day. Uh, shout out to Simone Fonteki. We're going to get more into his performance and how he's been playing. But that was a really good game. And Serbia has been fun this tournament. Uh, they're also putting themselves in a good position to qualify for the Olympics. I think that's very exciting because the prospect of going into next summer and having Team USA, who's already qualified, Team Canada, who's already qualified. I'm not sure whether or not Slovenia and Serbia have qualified or not. But you do have the potential of Jokic with Team Serbia going in. Luca with Team Slovenia. Uh, and then you, Paris, it, because the Olympic Games are in Paris, Team France qualifies. And so there will probably be some sort of front court of Rudy Gobert, Victor Wembanyama. I wonder if any of those other guys are able to crack uh, Team France, such as like City Sissoko, Bilal Koulibaly, some of these guys that have just recently entered the league. Um, I think that's probably something in, where in FIBA play a lot of teams strive for continuity and that's why France has been very successful and so I don't know if they'll necessarily make that leap for the Olympics but I do think that is a leap where they do start to settle into this next generation of French basketball after the Olympics after they played I would imagine that they want to put on as good of a show for their home fans as they can and so you probably get a, a little bit of continuity maybe some of those younger guys don't quite crack team France but I would expect Gobert to be there. I'd expect Fournier to be there. I'd expect Batum to be there. I don't know how you could leave out Victor Womanyama if he did want to play. And he has had experience playing with in the Team France program. So I think there's a 
big case for him to play. All of that to say, I just think the Olympics next year, we're setting up for a really interesting Olympics. And there's still a couple qualifying spots open. There will be stuff that opens. Australia will, is representing the Oceania region, as per usual. And they had they put together a pretty solid team for the FIBA World Cup. And I think they can put together an even better team. Like, if they can get... We're at that point in the offseason where we're starting to talk about Ben Simmons again. And the player that he was, especially because Mark Stein just released an article about Ben Simmons. So that's kind of where we're at in, in this offseason. Anyways, he had mentioned, mentioned that he would possibly play for Team Australia. I do think that would be interesting because he does give them some size that they don't necessarily have. Um, whereas I feel like they're starting to fill in gaps in other ways. I think defensively, like the core of Dante Exum, Josh Green is a lot of fun. Uh Man, I'm, I'm blanking. I feel like they have somebody else who's a good defender. Dyson Daniels, that's maybe who I was thinking of. And then they got Patty Mills, who is just the godfather of Team Australia basketball. Then you have Joe Ingles, who's also been around that program for a really long time. Uh, you got some other guys coming in, making strides. Like Team Australia, they have a really bright future with their basketball. And they're also kind of in a transition period because Patty Mills, Joe Ingles, like they're getting to the end. But you got Josh Giddy, you got Josh Green, Dante Exum. I mean, Dante Exum, he's kind of like not really quite in the twilight of his career, but he's definitely in the middle. Um, so Matisse Thibel, that's man, that's who I was thinking of. Uh, they they're in an, in an interesting spot, and like I think it's easy to talk about some of these teams and be like, okay, whichever team has the most NBA players is going to be the best team. Uh, well, that's not necessarily true. I do think. The FIBA game is different. Different players are able to shine in different ways. Um, and consistency is, I would say it's it's very key, especially when you look at a team like Team USA, like, yeah, they're definitely the most talented team, top to bottom. But they don't have this continuity of a team that has played together. Like, uh, Team France is a horrible example, but and Team Australia isn't a great example. But some of these other teams, like Lithuania, they're a team that has played together a lot. Jonas Valanciunas and that core have played together a lot. They played in the Eurobasket last year. And so teams like that are able to take sort of a different um, approach, and they're able to build up a program um, through years of consistency. They know who's going to be there. They have a pretty good idea of who's going to be representing their team year to year. And so I think that makes them an, a really interesting watch. Anyways, I was talking about the marquee matchups, uh, kind of previewing Italy versus USA. I would expect USA to win this game, uh, especially after their performance against Lithuania. Lithuania, I thought, played a really good game. Uh, they shot the lights out of the ball. Jonas Valanciunas was a monster. They also destroyed Team USA in rebounding. Only Team USA had some sort of like seven-foot guy that projects to be a really good rebounder that had a pretty good rebounding rookie season, especially from an offensive standpoint. If only Team USA had one of those guys. Um, but they're going against an Italy team that, kind of what I was talking about earlier, they're a team that has a lot of experience playing together. And they got Simone Fontecchio, Nicola Melli, just a couple of guys to mention. Um, like I said, they're a team that has a lot of experience playing together. They played together last year in the Eurobasket. They played the summer before. I don't know whether or not they were in the 2021 Olympics, but this team is a team that has a lot of continuity. They played together before. They're also a team that shoots the lights out. Um, and they're a team that is going to make you punish if they're, they're going to punish you if 
you're not shooting them well. Um, anyways, all of that to say, I think that, that could shape up to be an interesting game. Team USA versus Italy. Uh, that's kind of a fun first-round matchup. If Team USA does win, then they will play the winner of Germany versus Latvia. Uh, that Germany team, I they're good. I, I like that Germany team. Uh, the Between the Wagner brothers, between Dennis Schroeder, Daniel Tice, I think they put together like a pretty solid squad. Isaac Bonga is on that team. Uh, they've been a lot of fun. That Latvia team is also really interesting. They have the Bertans brothers, uh, Davis Bertans and his brother who plays somewhere in Europe. Um, they, I, I said Italy shoots a lot and Italy will shoot the lights out. Latvia will shoot the lights out. And we saw that earlier this tournament. Um, they're, they're a good team and they're definitely a team to look out for. I honestly have no idea who's going to come out between Germany and Latvia. So that will be interesting to see, um, what comes out of that matchup. Italy versus the winner of Italy versus USA will play the winner of Germany versus Latvia on Friday, September 8th. And then you're already in the semifinals. Then you got one more game to the finals and then basketball's over. So enjoy these last couple of games. Enjoy this week of basketball. It's I'm really excited. I think it has been a really fun tournament. Um, shout out to the Philippines as well as the other host countries that I put on just a really good show. It's been a lot of fun. Coming up, we're going to be talking about Jordan Clarkson, Laurie Markkinen, Walker Kessler, Simone Fontecchio, and Kelly Olynyk. How they've been doing with the Utah, or how they've been doing on their respective teams, and how we can expect that to translate to the Utah Jazz. Okay, I want to start with Jordan Clarkson because I think Jordan Clarkson has had an interesting tournament. My big question coming into this tournament about Jordan Clarkson is: Is there a universe where he can play the point guard position? Because the more I thought about it, I was kind of like, I was very intrigued with the idea of playing Jordan Clarkson at the one, Ochai Baji at the two, Laurie at the three, John Collins at the four, Walker Kessler at the five, right? And having that be kind of your starting lineup, maybe your closing lineup as well. Um, I was I was curious if that could be the scenario that you walk into and if that could be kind of the training battle that ha- training camp battle that happens. After watching the World Cup, I'm less convinced that that is a good idea. Let me be clear. I'm still a ride or die Jordan Clarkson fan. I I absolutely can see his value. While I, I don't think some metrics, uh, when you look at like his efficiency, when you look at other metrics, I think there's a lot that doesn't capture his value on the court. Um, I do think defensively he is a liability, and that's something that he probably has to improve not something that i know that i am necessarily confident he will improve um but i'm a fan of jordan clarkson i i think he's a great player seeing jordan clarkson as the number one option for a philippines team that frankly isn't very good they kind of have like uh i thought dwight ramos was pretty impressive for them i also People are kind of, there's sort of a hype around Kai Soto. I haven't necessarily bought into that hype or understood it yet, Um, but he's sort of like a borderline NBA player, right? So Jordan Clarkson, through five games of FIBA World Cup play, uh, three three games in the first round, and then two games in the classification round, averaged... 26 points per game, right on 26 points. I love when it looks that pretty. 5.2 assists per game, 4.6 rebounds per game, shot 41% from the field, 29% from three, 
averaged 4.2 turnovers per game, uh, 1.2 steals per game. And the efficiency wasn't great, and he was about minus 3.4 per game. So a lot of this is is context, but I do, I do think it goes into my point about Jordan Clarkson. So first, you have to understand the context of the team he's playing on. Jordan Clarkson's the number one option, and he's the guy. Uh, I think Philippines fans were especially excited about Jordan Clarkson coming to play them, uh, a personal play for them. I was very excited to watch it, and I think it played out pretty well, um, all things considered. That being said, there is something about Jordan Clarkson being a number one option that probably just doesn't work. Because I I think as a passer, I thought I was actually really impressed with some of his passes. I thought he made some pretty decent passes and like some things that you would expect an NBA player to make, especially in FIBA, where it feels like the spacing, the passing, uh, the pace is just like even quicker than the NBA. Um, I thought Jordan Clarkson did a pretty good job as a passer and he was essentially the point guard. He's the guy bringing it down the court every time he's starting a lot of actions, but they also used him off the ball a lot. And I thought that was where he played best. Um, when he was on the ball, sometimes you get him coming up the court and some of the turnovers, some of the defense on him, like it would be like pretty okay defense, but you would expect an NBA ball handler, a guy like Jordan Clarkson to be able to handle that. And there were just a couple of bad turnovers. And whether that's a result of him being tired because he's carrying on such a big load, or if that was something else, um, that was an area of concern. And that does make me worried about, hey, is this a guy that can be your main ball handler for 30 minutes a game? Probably not. I think uh, that's maybe an observation I had. I don't know if you can necessarily make that conclusion from what we saw with Jordan Clarkson during the FIBA World Cup. But I do think that is an observation. Like He was a guy that did struggle to handle the ball. And he struggled in a lot of situations. I also think teams, because the Philippines roster isn't the best roster in the world, teams were kind of honed in on Jordan Clarkson. And they were sending a lot of double teams. I posted this on my Twitter, but you can find a bunch of pictures of teams just doubling Jordan Clarkson. And so he doesn't handle those super well either. And that does make me worried, like, if you're in a playoff or play-in setting, and Jordan Clarkson is the guy with the ball in his hands on the last play. How is he going to handle a double team? Let's say you throw a pick and roll, and then the guy that the center, uh, whoever is guarding Walker Kessler or John Collins, they meet Jordan Clarkson up there, and then the defender goes around the screen, and they start doubling Jordan Clarkson. How is he going to handle that? I think in an NBA setting, he's not going to handle it well. Um, And he didn't handle it well in the FIBA setting. So... I think that's sort of that's sort of an observation about Jordan Clarkson being a main ball handler. And look, I think all of this is fine. Like this was sort of me just being curious. Like, is there potential for Jordan Clarkson to be the lead ball handler, to be the point guard for the Utah Jazz next year? After watching, there probably isn't, and that's okay. I really, I re- I genuinely think that's okay because Jordan Clarkson had a really good season last year. He played good basketball, was able to score a lot, did well off the ball. I think that's easily transmittable to this next season. Uh, Shout out to Jordan Clarkson because he was second in scoring in the World Cup in both points per game and total points. Like I said, he played really well off the ball. And uh, you get situations where 
honestly, teams were just trying to deny the ball. Like they're putting his hand in front of his face, their hands in front of his face. They're doing everything they can to keep the ball away from Jordan Clarkson. I think that's kind of, that's really interesting because we haven't necessarily seen teams do that to Jordan Clarkson. And that's why he's able to get hot at times. Uh, Just want to go through some of these games with Jordan Clarkson, some things that stood out. So the first game they played against the Dominican Republic, he had 28 points, seven rebounds, seven assists, and eight turnovers. Shot nine at 24 from the field. Uh, I thought this was by far the team Philippines. Like, it felt like this was their most important game. And I think you saw that in the reaction from Jordan Clarkson after the game, during the kind of towards the end of the game. He did foul out a little bit early. Um, and man, he was sad. Uh, that video was going around Twitter um, about, and he was just crying. Like, I feel super bad for the guy. Uh, you can tell how much it means to him. But I thought that was sort of his most game. There were parts where it felt like he took over that game. The back and forth between him and Carl Anthony Towns was a lot of fun. I, it made for just a great viewing experience. But yeah, ultimately, uh, Team Philippines lost that game. Then they played Angola the next round, or the next game. Jordan Clarkson had 21 points, 7 assists, 3 rebounds, shot 6 of 14 from 2, 1 of 8 from 3. Uh, the 3-point shooting was worrisome. He did shoot 29% from 3. And Simone Fontecchio has also shot poorly from three. Laurie Markinen has shot poorly from three. The only jazz player that has shot well from three during the FIBA World Cup has been Kelly Olenek, who shot around 40% from three. So I wonder if that's more of a result of FIBA just being different and these guys who, look, Jordan Clarkson isn't the number one option on the jazz. I know sometimes it might seem he is. Seems like he is. Simone Fontecchio definitely isn't the number one option on the jazz. Laurie Markinen is, but... It's different when you have guys around you that are also able to score. And so when you put these guys in situations where their teammates just aren't as good as them, um, then defenses naturally will hone in on them. And I do think that's why where you see some, sort of these drops in three-point shooting. Um, I also think it, it – it, um, look, shooting, you could go 0 for 20 through a four-game stretch, and then you go – 15 for 17 in the next four game stretch and your percentage ends up around like 40%. So that's just kind of like the nature of basketball. That's the nature of being a shooter. So it could just be a result of that. I was really impressed with Jordan Clarkson. I thought he had a good world cup uh, moving on to some of those other games, the game versus Italy and Simone Fontecchio was, that was a fun little watch. He had 23 points, seven rebounds, six assists. It ended up being a pretty close game. Uh, but they did lose. Italy got that win. Um, then they played South Sudan in their first qualifying uh, the classification round. Uh, Jordan Clarkson had 24 points, four rebounds, three assists, five turnovers. Wasn't overly impressed. The game that really stood out, though, was versus China. And he had 34 points, two rebounds, three assists, shot 11 of 18 from the field, six of eight from two, five of 10 from three. Only had two turnovers. Like, that, that was... Definitely his best game. Uh, that China team isn't necessarily good. They have Kyle Anderson on them. Also, Kyle Anderson, like he hasn't gotten a ton of love from the public just because he hasn't done a ton in feeble play for that China team. But it, it's kind of been fun uh, just watching him. He's got these goggles on. It, I don't know. It, it's it's fun to watch. But Jordan Clarkson, like I said, I, he had his best game against that China team. And you see a lot of the same things, like as far as his ability to score, 
translate. Uh, I do think Jordan Clarkson doesn't get the love he deserves for being such a creative and talented scorer and for being as good of a scorer he is in all three ranges, uh, at the basket, mid-range, three-pointer, shooter. There are a lot of things to be really impressed with with Jordan Clarkson. Ultimately, like my big question was, can he be a point guard? Is that something that he could settle into? Uh, I do think the answer is no. I, I think we have a pretty good idea of who Jordan Clarkson is as a player. And the fact that he maybe didn't set himself apart as a point guard isn't a bad thing at all. I, I do think there's a lot of optimism about Jordan Clarkson. Next, we're going to talk about uh, Laurie Markkinen. Laurie Markkinen has had a pretty impressive FIBA World Cup. Um, he has been third in scoring in out of all players, uh, just right behind Luka Doncic and Jordan Clarkson. So that's pretty good company to be in. Um, let's see, looking looking at his stats through five games, 24.8 points per game, shot 50% from the field, 25% from three. I talked a little bit about this with Jordan Clarkson, but the three-point shooting did go down for Laurie Markkinen as well. He averaged eight rebounds per game, 1.2 assists per game, uh, just 2.6 turnovers per game, and a block per game. It was kind of an up-and-down World Cup for Finland as a whole. Uh, that first game versus Australia was brutal. Like I said, that Australia team is a good team. And Laurie Markkinen, he played 29 minutes that game, uh, had 19 points, eight rebounds, four assists. The assists actually really stood out to me because I thought he looked really good as a passer. And that's something where I was like, man, um, that's something that I've been looking for with Laurie Markkinen. He's shown flashes of his passing. And I think he generally is like a pretty high IQ player. Um, so for him to like actually get some translatable stats to showcase his passing, I thought was a really good sign. He started the game with this really pretty baseline pass to the open to an open guy in the corner. Um, I can't remember whether or not the basket went in, but that was something that I instantly took a note down. I was like, man, that was a very pretty pass. I think as a passer, um, when the ball stops and he's got like a defender on him, it's kind of interesting because it seems like he throws a lot of chest passes, whereas I wonder if he should be sort of like Nikola Jokic where he's passing over his head like as a seven footer shouldn't that kind of be a place where you try to use your size and as an advantage um that's something that i would i want to keep an eye on uh because i do think there will be situations where he's in the post where the ball stops maybe he's getting double teamed and look as a seven footer he's going to be able to pass over guys he's going to be able to see over guys so i want to see Larry mark and be able to make those reads and then not make make a chess pass, which he did a couple times versus Australia, and some of them just led to like a turnover uh, or just a bad play. Whereas if with like an overhead pass, are you able to create more of an advantage? I think so. I also just thought Laurie Markkinen did a really good job through the FIBA World Cup as an off-ball scorer. This isn't something that isn't totally unfamiliar for us as Jazz fans. We've been able to watch this. We've been able to see how incredible of an off-ball scorer he is. Um, he's somebody that doesn't need 100 touches a game. You give him 50 touches a game, and you just get him in the right situations, he's going to make stuff happen, and he's going to be able to score in different situations. There was one play where he started in the corner, uh, just around the perimeter, 
And then he goes around the perimeter, goes around the screen, gets the ball at the top of the key, and then has a really pretty finish to the rim. Essentially, he like what he did was what I thought was impressive about it was he took his defender um, off the three point line and then drives, and he just he creates little advantages like that. And I think that's where he really uses his ability as a, an off ball scorer to create uh, buckets to get points for himself. Um, and for his team. And I think that's where you see a lot of the value with Laura Markkinen. So that was kind of his game versus Australia. Like I said, I thought it was pretty good. The next game they played versus Japan. Um, this one was disappointing. So Laura Markkinen, he played in 30 minutes, 27 points, 12 rebounds, uh, four fouls, four turnovers. You hear those stats and you're like, dang, 27 and 12. Like, or, that's pretty good. What was bad was Team Finland uh, and just kind of their late ball, late game execution, and they gave up a really big lead to a Japan team that was playing at home and that does have some players, but it, it was pretty bad. Like, that was a game that Finland should have won, and so that was really disappointing for Larry Markkinen and Finland. I had mentioned how I did think this group was the group death. Uh, in their group, they had... Finland, Australia, Japan, and Germany. Like, those are four teams with NBA players, with good players, with good programs. Uh, Japan obviously might have kind of like a little bump right now as to how we perceive them because they were in the Olympics and they hosted the Olympics in 2021. But, yeah, I mean, I thought they, they played a really good game against that Finland team, ultimately got the win uh, with some late-game heroics. The game versus Germany, that was their third game of the... Um, first stage, Laura Markkinen had 12 points, two rebounds in 22 minutes. That game was really disappointing. Also, shot of six from three. So, at this point, I was kind of like, man, this is this has sort of been a disappointing tournament for Laura Markkinen. Uh, I know that group was difficult. I know his team isn't like a really great team. They have some players, though. They, they have pros, and they got guys that are playing in college, playing in the United States. And obviously, they have Laurie Markkinen. So I, there was reason to be optimistic. I do think the group they played in was a really difficult group. And I think that was evident because as soon as they got out of the group, uh, it seems like they started to, they kind of exploded. Um, so in the classification games, and so this classification round, uh, just for those that don't know, it gives teams an opportunity, teams that got out in the World Cup, to be able, it's for their seed placement. Um, in the Olympic qualifying tournament next summer, I believe. And so Team Finland will have the opportunity to try and qualify for the Olympics next summer. Larry Markkinen, I'm not sure whether or not he'll be a part of that squad, but he'll be, if they get into the Olympics, then Larry Markkinen will have played a part in it and will probably be on the Olympic team. I'd be very surprised if he wasn't. Um, so that first classification game they played against Cape Verde, uh, Larry Markkinen had 34 points on 12 and 19 from the field, shot two, six from three. Nine rebounds, one assist. Honestly, just like a, a really solid game. The off-ball scoring was once again great. Uh, shot, sh excuse me, he shot 10 of 13 from two. And I thought that was really impressive. Just like his ability to not only get to the basket, but he had this one fadeaway that was sort of Kevin Durant-esque. Uh, for those that follow me on Twitter, you definitely saw it. He, he gets the ball kind of like, right at the left elbow and he takes a dribble and then just fades back and 
you know how Kevin Durant sort of fades back and it looks like he's about to fall over because that fade is, I'm mean, like, he's fading deep. It was sort of the same thing with Larry Markin where he had a deep fade and eventually it, it sort of looked like he was falling back, but he just, he nailed the shot. And, that, and I, my first instinct was like, that looked like Kevin Durant. And so to see that out of a seven footer, to see that out of Larry Markinen, uh, to see sort of that ability to just not be guarded and sort of the same way Kevin Durant has, I thought was really promising. Their last game they played versus Venezuela, Larry Markinen had 32 points, nine rebounds, shot nine of 13 from the field, three of six from three, which was his best three-point shooting game. I thought that was much needed after a game, games where he shot 14%, 28%, 0%, and 33%. So for him to go 50% from the three and end the tournament on a really high note, Finland got two Ws over Cape Verde and Venezuela, and I thought Larry Markkinen set himself up for maybe an interesting summer next year. Uh, Finland will have the opportunity to play in the Olympic qualifiers, and they'll play against teams from Europe, I believe, as well as like maybe some teams from Asia, teams from Africa. Uh, like I think that Bahamas team with Eric Gordon, DeAndre Ayton, and Buddy Heald will be in that tournament. So that will be an opportunity for Larry Markkinen to play some more international basketball to hopefully get his team into the Olympics. I think that's what it's all about for him. Like with these international guys, they really just want to represent their country, uh, especially a guy like Mar- Larry Markkinen, where he is the lone NBA player in this country. And he, you know, every time he's playing in the NBA, he's sort of representing Finland. And I think that's a really cool opportunity for him uh, because then he gets to go and actually represent Finland, actually wear their colors, play with that Wolfpack team and try and do something for them, try and do something that their team hasn't done in the past. Um, just some other takeaways from Laurie Markkinen. Like I said, I thought I thought the scoring was great. Uh, did a really good job in transition. I also thought that's where the passing has really stood out. Um, the off-ball scoring has been great. There have been situations where it feels like he... You know, he's he's showing shades of being like an on-ball scorer. And a lot of it is post-ups. I don't think you see many situations where Larry Markkinen is, Mar- is like initiating actions, taking people out of the pick and roll. No, it's it's more like you're going to see Larry get the ball in the low post, use his size, use his height advantage to try and create a shot. Um, and I think where he has an advantage to that is he doesn't necessarily need to be right around the basket to be able to do that but because he sort of has that finesse, that fin- finishing ability um, and the ability to just shoot over people, he can kind of score from anywhere. I think that's very valuable. Uh, the scoring, like I said, like the guy was averaging 25 points per game and shot horribly from three point from, from the three-point land, uh, somewhere where he shot near 40% last year in the NBA. I think there's a lot to be excited about with Larry Markkinen. Uh, and... For him to be featured as the number one option on this Finland team, they end with a two and three record. Played against some really good teams. I I thought there is a lot of reason to leave this tournament with optimism for Larry Markkinen. And one question I had was like, okay, is everything we saw with Larry Markkinen last year was that was that a fluke, or you know, uh, sometimes you'll have these guys that have these single seasons where they come on as most improved player or they get an all-star. Um, and, and it seems like it kind of came out of nowhere. That was absolutely the case with Larry Markkinen. So I was wondering, like, 
is this a fluke or is this something that's sustainable with Laurie Markkinen? Are we going to be able to see him continue to do this in the NBA? After watching the FIBA World Cup, I think there is zero doubt that he is going to be able to continue to do what he did last season in the NBA. Uh, I think he can absolutely be a guy that scores 25 points to 26 points a night. That rebounds at a high level. Um, and that can be efficient from all three levels of the of the court and be a really good scorer. There's no reason to believe that Larry Markkinen can't be that guy. A couple other takes I had from Larry Markkinen. Uh, the defense. Defensively, he struggled in some one-on-one situations. Uh, there was one play where Joe Ingles was on the perimeter and Larry was guarding Joe Ingles for a little bit. That was really fun as a Jazz fan, being able to watch both those guys go at it together. There was a play where Joe Ingles had the ball on the perimeter and put Larry Markkinen in a pick-and-roll situation and takes Larry around the screen. Larry kind of really struggles to get around the screen. I think that's expected for a guy that's as big as he is, but he really struggled to get around the screen. And he kept slipping. He like couldn't get up. It almost looked like Joe Ingles like kind of broke his ankles. You know, uh, he kept falling over a little bit. And eventually, Joe Ingles took the ball out back to the perimeter, shot a three, and nailed it. So that was something to keep an eye on because I do think if you have Larry Markkinen playing the three, there are going to be times, there are going to be nights where he's guarding a guy like Jason Tatum or. I don't know, a guy like, you could see him guarding like Luka Doncic or Jimmy Butler. Uh, some of these guys who are a little bit bigger. And so if they put him in pick and roll situations, I'm really curious to see how Laurie will be able to handle that. Um, I think being a two-way NBA player is really underrated. And I wouldn't necessarily consider Laurie Markkinen a two-way NBA player. I think he is an elite offensive presence. I think he has size on the defensive end. But the more I'm watching of him, especially in this FIBA World Cup, and look, I'm not saying it's a conclusion because there is probably an element to it where he is the number one op- number one option on his team and he's playing a lot of minutes. So it's difficult to be able to play two ways. But the more I watch, the more I'm starting to think Laurie Markkinen might just not be a great defender. Uh, he's, guy, he's a guy that has some really good situational defense and has moments, but like overall, I don't think he's a consistently great team defender or just great defender in general, even a good defender. Um, There were some other parts that I thought illustrated that, um, that Australia team plays with a lot of good ball movement, a lot of cutting. They're honestly a really fun team to watch. And, a lot of times you'd have Laurie Markkinen kind of guarding a guy on the perimeter. If that guy started to sink in, then Laurie Markkinen starts kind of playing an off-ball defensive position, especially when he's around the rim and he's like trying to be sort of a secondary rim protector. So a lot of times what will happen is a player will just do a simple backdoor cut and get behind him, be able to score on the other side of the basket. That's where I get nervous about Laurie Markkinen because it did seem like a couple times, especially during that Australia game, that he wasn't, totally paying attention and he wasn't necessarily given guys on his team the time of day. So that was something I was a little bit worried about. Um, and, and there was, I just like, I, I wasn't overly impressed with Laurie Mark, Laurie defense in general. Um, well, one last thing on Laurie marketing was how he handled the double teams. I thought he handled double teams pretty well. 
uh, there was one play where he gets doubled in the key. Um, and so he, ha he has, it's a live dribble. He's got the dribble. So what he does is he just dribbles back out, forcing one of the defenders to leave him to go find their man again. And then he just takes it to the basket and scores. Like, so he sort of, he has the ball in the key, takes it back out. And then when the other defender leaves, he initiates the action again, goes and scores at the basket. I thought that was really interesting. Um, a lot of times I feel like when you get double teamed, your instinct is to pick up the ball and that can create turnovers that can create poor decisions, but for him to be sort of like a steady ball handler, that wasn't necessarily phased. I was really surprised by that. I thought that was super intriguing overall. I think Laurie Markin has had a great FIBA tournament. Uh, I do think what Laurie Markin did last year is sustainable and I do think it will translate. I thought the FIBA world cup gave us a really good indication that this is still the same guy. I didn't think he had a really good playmaking um, World Cup, and I thought defensively he struggled, but I think there's plenty else to be optimistic about. Okay, I spent a good majority of this episode talking about Laurie Markkinen and Jordan Clarkson. I want to spend the rest talking about Walker Kessler, Simone Fontecchio, and Kelly Olenek. Starting with Walker Kessler, my big question is, what have we learned about Walker Kessler that we can take into this next NBA season? I think there's a couple things we, we've learned, but first I want to kind of take a look at the stats. Um, so he he's played 6.1 minutes per game through five games, averaged 3.6 points per game, shot 57% from the field, hasn't shot any threes, shot 28% from th free throw. That's actually pretty bad. Like <laughs> 28% from free throw is pretty bad. Uh, averaging 0.8 rebounds per game, Averaging 1.4 blocks per game in just 6.1 minutes of action per game. So uh, he played like two minutes versus New Zealand towards the end of the game. Garbage time minutes. Played six minutes versus Greece. Uh, those were actually kind of some garbage time minutes as well. Uh, had four points that game. Versus Jordan. I thought that was that was his best game. Uh, he was able to play a little bit more. Played 12 minutes, eight points, um, one rebound versus Montenegro and Nikola Vucevic. They actually played him like because they were needing to play him. So they're playing him out of necessity, which I thought was interesting. Uh, he had four points, two, four from the field, one rebound, one block. Uh, he had three blocks versus Jordan, just by the way. And then versus Lithuania, uh, sort of similar to Montenegro. Lithuania is playing against Jonas Valanciunas, and he played for six minutes, had two points, uh, shot 101 from the field, one rebound, two fouls, and was minus 10 in those six minutes. So I think there's a lot to take away, but also not a lot to take away at the at the same time, because I do think points and conclusions are better made when there's a larger sample size. And Walker Kessler has not had a very large sample size during this FIBA World Cup. Walker Kessler has the 12th most blocks in the World Cup, and he's only playing six minutes per game. I think that's really impressive considering everybody that's playing above him is playing between 23 and 30 minutes per game. Uh, the big game that stood out and people were kind of looking at those Montenegro and Lithuania games as opportunities for Walker Kessler to potentially play because he would be playing against Nikola Vucevic and Jonas Valanciunas, two NBA starting centers. And they're both big. Like those two guys are big. Uh, so the Valanciunas matchup, that was a game where they were like really trying to play him. 
out of necessity because Jaron Jackson Jr. got into foul trouble. This is kind of what I mentioned. Like what I thought would happen is Walker Kessler's minutes would be situational. Uh, might be depending on the matchup as well as Jaron Jackson Jr.'s foul trouble because that's something that has happened in the NBA. Um, so the question was like, how will Kessler do against these bigger centers in the NBA? Um, that's kind of the question I had after the Valanciunas matchup because watching that matchup, uh, there were a couple of things that he's really struggled with. Team USA was really trying hard to deny the ball uh, from getting to Valanciunas, especially in the post. And so Walker Kessler was trying really hard to deny the ball, which caused him to foul twice. Like on both of his fouls, they were him trying to deny the ball. I also kind of thought both of them were a little ticky tacky, but whatever. They, that's not my call to make. Um, so after those two fouls, like he got out of that game pretty fast. Lithuania ended up winning that game. Walker Kessler didn't play the rest of that game. He got to, to those two fouls in six minutes. And all, overall, like those minutes just weren't super productive. Uh, they were kind of bad. And look, he was minus 10 in those six minutes. So Team USA might, might feel like they have their answer on him. Look. I said this before, but my big question after watching that matchup is how will Walker Kessler do against bigger centers in the NBA? Especially when I think about Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid, who are the two best centers, the two best big men in basketball. I am worried to see how Walker Kessler will do against them because it's super, there's those two guys are super similar body types to a guy like Jonas Valanciunas. Like those two guys are, they're both huge. They're monsters. Um, from their height, from their width, uh, <laughs> they're both like big, big dudes that can back you down. And so I'm worried about how Walker Kessler will be able to handle those matchups. And I think we'll get a better idea of how he does through the course of a season. I feel like the big thing going against Walker Kessler uh, has been not only the way that Team USA wants to play and their identity and how maybe Walker Kessler doesn't fit that, but I feel like Walker Kessler hasn't had the opportunity to establish rhythm. So a lot of times they're using him situationally and they'll play him just like out of necessity. And so if you're Walker Kessler, it's like, you don't know when your minutes are going to be. You don't know that you're going to be the backup center from minute 10 to minute 12 of the second quarter, quarter, minute 12 to minute nine of the second quarter. Right. You think if you're Walker Kessler, you're probably thinking like, man, I have no idea whether or whether or not I'm going to be able to play. So you kind of have to have that stay ready mentality. I think that's really difficult to do, especially when you're used to being the starting center and you started 40-something games the previous season for an NBA team. It's pretty difficult to all of a sudden be coming off the bench. And it's even more difficult to start establishing rhythm. I think rhythm is really crucial in sports. I think it plays a key in every single sport. And you want to be able to establish rhythm in your practices. You want to be able to establish your rhythm in your games, most importantly. And so if you're a guy like Walker Kessler, who has no idea whether or not he's going to come into the game, it's really difficult to establish rhythm. I also think because he's played, what, he's played uh, 30 total minutes through five games, playing 6.1 minutes per game, the guy has just had like zero opportunity to really settle in Whereas I think if you were playing more minutes, you'd give him the opportunity to settle in. Some of the things that he's usually able to do would probably stand out a little bit more. That matchup versus Lithuania was 
really interesting just watching Team USA because I thought they absolutely got destroyed on the inside. And it leads me to like question like, look, Jaron Jackson Jr., I know he got into early foul trouble. He's maybe not the perfect guy to guard a guy like Jonas Valanciunas, whereas I think Jaron Jackson Jr., especially his NBA defense is most valuable like as sort of a roamer, and that's what he did for this last season. You'd have Steven Adams or Brandon Clark at the five, and then you'd play him at the four, and he's just able to kind of roam around, get block shots, um, make life really difficult for defenses, and he's really good at that. So if you're playing a team like Lithuania that you're not able to stop really, why aren't you going to sort of this mode where you're playing Walker Kessler at the five, Jaron Jackson Jr. at the four? That way you can have a big body on a guy like Jonas Valanciunas while also not giving up Jaron Jackson Jr.'s defensive presence and room protection. You're also, I think offensively, like if you're playing Walker Kessler and Paula Boncaro, the spacing has been difficult and it's been hard to watch. Like those two guys just haven't been great fits together. But I wonder if there's potential for a better synergy between Walker Kessler and Jaron Jaron Jackson Jr., Jaron Jackson Jr., I think, is already a better three-point shooter than Paolo Boncaro. And maybe just a better floor spacer. I also think there's something to be said about having two guys that are seven-footers posting up versus, like, just one guy. So if you have him, as in Walker Kessler, and Jaron Jackson Jr. downhill, uh, or kind of, like, as your front line, I think that's a much better position, especially again defensively against some of these teams. My big question, uh, I, th- I think like we have a pretty good idea of who Walker Kessler is. Like, I don't, I'm not expecting Walker Kessler to add some sort of bag to be a guy that puts up five assists per game that is shooting a bunch of threes. You know, like I just wanted to see Walker Kessler build upon the things that he's already done this last NBA season, be a really good shot blocker, be a really good offensive rebounder, be a guy that can be a consistent lob threat, that can be a consistent threat around the basket. Those are kind of some of the things I've wanted to see. And I see, I feel like, We've seen those things in flashes. So going into the 2024 Paris Olympics, are there center minutes for Walker Kessler? Kind of like looking at the other American centers in the NBA. You got Bam Adebayo, Draymond Green. Those two were the 2021 Olympic centers, along with JaVale McGee. Uh, That's kind of hilarious to me. Um Anthony Davis is that an, is that a is there potential for that? I would say no, just because of his injury history. Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, those are probably like two of the next guys that you go to if you're looking at the 2024 Olympics. I mean, how much experience do either of those guys have playing with Team USA, playing under Steve Kerr? So then you kind of get to like, okay, it's gonna be like. Maybe you're a bit Bam Adebayo. Maybe it's Draymond Green. Like those are two guys that have played with Steve Kerr, that have played forward Steve Kerr, that have experience in the Team USA system. Then you get to Jaron Jackson Jr. Okay. So let's say one of those guys drops out and you're looking for like your third center. Do you get to Walker Kessler and say like, he's got to be the guy. He's played with the Team USA. Uh, He would be a great fit, especially going into the Olympics where there's potential to play Jokic. There's potential to play Giannis. So you're going to need a little bit more size. Could Walker Kessler be a potential answer there? I think that's going to be a storyline to monitor. I don't know whether or not we'll have any idea. But the fact that JaVale McGee made the 2021 Olympic squad 
makes me think there's like at least like a twenty percent chance that Walker Kessler could play on the twenty twenty four Paris Olympics team. Um, next we're gonna talk a little bit about Simone Fontecchio. So what have we learned about Simone Fontecchio that we can take into this next season? Sort of looking at his stats from the FIFA World Cup. There's some interesting things. Uh, and I've been able to watch a couple of these games. So Simone is averaging 18.4 points per game, which puts him at 16th in scoring in the World Cup. His big game was versus Serbia when he had 31 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, shot 11 of 15 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3. I like that was his big game, and Italy won that game pretty much at the end. He played really well. Uh, so he's averaged 18.4 points per game through the tournament, 6.6 rebounds per game, 1.8 assists per game. My questions coming into this World Cup, were, were we going to be able to see opportunities for Simone Fontecchio to showcase more of his game? I was curious if we would see maybe like a defensive uptick or a playmaking uptick, things that would hopefully be able to translate into the NBA. Um, Italy versus USA, I think is going to be interesting. Because, look, I've seen I've seen bits and pieces of what Italy's been able to do. This is Italy versus USA. That's going to be a game that I intend to watch all the way through. I want to see what Simone Fontecchio is able to do that game. Um, and how he's able to handle a really, really good defensive core in Mikel Bridges, Anthony Edwards, Cam Johnson... Uh, Brandon Ingram, like that's a lot of length to go against, and Simone Fontecchio is likely going to have one of those guys on him at all times, and so that'll be a really interesting opportunity for him to be able to potentially show more, especially if Team USA goes to the idea of like, hey, let's try to take away Simone Fontecchio's scoring because he has been Italy's leading scorer through this tournament. He's, I wouldn't say that he's been like wildly good as a scorer, but he's been effective. Um, and he's been able to help Italy get to this point in the tournament. So Team USA is probably going to try to limit that. My big takeaway from Simone in this tournament is that the inconsistencies we saw in the NBA season are still kind of there. The guy has shot 43% from the field, 23% from three, 81% from free throw. That's great. There's just a lot of up and downs when you're relying on Simone to be a shooter and to be sort of a scorer. I think like he absolutely has that potential, but I do wonder as far as his NBA career goes, well, what role is he going to play? Um, looking at the Utah Jazz next year, I'm curious about like that backup three position, like who's going to play behind Larry Markkinen. I think there's potential for Ochai to kind of play in some of those minutes. I wondered if Taylor Hendricks could possibly play in some of those minutes. I do think you will get to a point where Simone Fontecchio is playing in some of those minutes. And you're asking Simone Fontecchio to go in to be a good spot-up shooter, to be a guy that just can score and score efficiently. And from what we've seen of Simone Fontecchio, like he's not playing a ton of on-ball uh, for Team Italy. He's playing a lot of off-ball. And from what I've been able to see, like I haven't seen things that make me believe that his inconsistencies aren't just inconsistencies. Like, there's no extra load he's carrying. There's nothing that the defense is doing. I just feel like the guy is kind of an inconsistent player. So I feel like that's kind of where we're at with Simone Fontecchio, and that's probably where we've landed on him. I would be surprised if he's on the Utah Jazz. 
you know, in two years. Um, I think there is certain value, and I'm cheering for him. I think Team Italy beating, beating Team USA would be an interesting story and would be a lot of fun. Uh, but I do think we are discovering more about Simone Fontecchio, especially as this FIBA World Cup goes on. Kelly Olenek, he is, I'm going to close with Kelly Olenek. Uh, he has been the superstar of Team Canada. Not the superstar, but he has been a superstar for them. I think Shea has been the superstar. And everything that Kelly Olenek has done for Team Canada is what the Utah Jazz will need next year. Um, Kelly's been just like a very steady player and a very steady force on a good, young, talented Canada team that also can be inconsistent. For example, this last game versus Spain, um, Kelly Olenek had his, his worst game of the tournament. He had six points, shot two of seven from the field, wasn't closing for them, also had four turnovers, was minus 16 in... 19 minutes of play. It was just not a good game for Kelly Olynyk. There was one point, though, where they got Kelly Olynyk in the game, and he hits back-to-back threes for Team Canada. And I felt like that was kind of the beginning of them getting back into that game and eventually winning and beating that Spain team. I think that's what you want from a guy like Kelly Olynyk. Look, uh, he's the captain of Team Canada. And I think there is probably something to be said about him sort of being like a captain for the Utah Jazz team. Uh, I don't know if it's official whether or not like they even name a captain, but I do think Kelly Olynyk will have sort of that voice in the locker room. We got a really good indication of that last year as we heard more and more about the team, more of what was happening in the locker room. I feel like we got a pretty good idea that Kelly Olynyk was a driving force and a vocal voice in that locker room. And I think that's very valuable for young players, for a young core. If you're looking at next year's team, like we're younger than we were last year. And so Kelly Olenek's leadership is going to be even more valuable. I think what he's done for this team, Canada, um, has been a really good sign. And I think it's something that he's going to be able to take into Team US, or the Utah Jazz next year. And I'm excited to see how that will work. From a basketball perspective, I just I love how much of like a plug-and-play piece Kelly Olenek has been. So through five games, he is averaging 12 points per game, 5.4 rebounds per game, 2.6 assists per game, shooting 44% from the field, 46% from two, 41% from three, and 88% from free throw. Um, I've overly, I've been generally impressed with Kelly Olynyk's play during the FIBA World Cup. I thought he's, like I said, I think he's been like a really steady and consistent force for Team Canada. Also just love like, he doesn't need touches. He doesn't need to, to be the guy that's initiating stuff. He doesn't need to get a certain amount of shots up. Kelly Olenek, he just plays like a winning style of basketball. And I think this is something that dates back to his days at Gonzaga, his days back at Boston, his days in Miami. Everywhere he's been, he's kind of been this sort of player. So I've been really excited about Kelly Olenek. I think he adds a very valuable veteran presence to the Utah Jazz next year that is going to be super valuable. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Swish Lake City Podcast. Stay tuned for another episode next week. As always, this episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Use code SWISH, S-W-I-S-H, to get up to $100 deposited, matched to your $100 deposit. Um, it's a lot of fun. I appreciate everybody for listening. Make sure you're following me at Jazzlead on Twitter and subscribing to the YouTube channel at Swish Lake City.